I invite you to find Hebrews chapter 10 in your Bible, and I wish you a good morning and welcome to Prairie Hill in Jesus' beautiful name. I want to add also that as part of our informational meeting after the service today, um, we're going to have a dedicated time of prayer for um, the country of Afghanistan and the people of Afghanistan. I'm at the conclusion of that meeting, so I hope you will stay around and participate um, in both of those things that we're planning to give time to today. Hebrews chapter 10 in your Bible, we're taking a couple of Sundays to dig into matters related to Christian community. This is the second Sunday that we're giving time to that. Last Sunday, we were in Galatians 6, and we talked about bearing each other's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ in that way. Today we're coming to a familiar passage in the book of Hebrews. The passage begins in verse 19, goes through verse 25. I want to share with you why I chose this passage for today. This is a reorienting passage. It's a passage that helps us locate ourselves and reminds us once again of what's important. And I think there's a pretty good chance that over the last year and a half, at some point, and maybe even today, you have found yourself just a little bit disoriented, relating to everything, life, church, relationships, all those things. And as we head into the fall here together in our community, the church which belongs to Jesus, I thought it would be good to spend some time in a passage that helps us get reoriented to what that life should look like together. It's very simple. There are three things that are set before us as being priorities for a Christian community. We're going to draw those things out of just verses 24 and 25. I'm going to start the reading at verse 19, and then we'll get into these three things that the author of Hebrews sets before us regarding what should we be giving our time to right now in our life together in the church that belongs to Jesus. Okay, just those three things, that'll be enough for today. In honor of God and his word, let's stand, shall we, for the reading of the word. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another 
to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Heavenly Father, we give this time to you. We remember before you the sick and the recovering. We remember before you those who are being refreshed this weekend through vacation and time away. We remember before you those who are mourning the loss of a loved one. We remember before you the tired, the burdened, the doubting, the anxious. We remember before you those who are worried and those who are hopeful. Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on we needy ones and have regard for the lowly. Our resources are, are gone and are as nothing. We are much in need of you. We are much in need of you to, to form and shape this community. Form us and shape us into a, a pleasing body with your son as the head and the good shepherd. And I pray on behalf of of my brothers and sisters here, that you would use this time to accomplish that purpose by the power of the Holy Spirit who is with us together and whom you have given us individually. For we ask in Jesus' holy and wonderful name, amen. Please be seated. Before we dig into the middle of the passage, notice the bookends of the passage. Notice the very first thing and the very last thing. Notice that verse 19, the first verse that we read, deals with the cross of Jesus. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, okay, those are all references to the cross of Jesus. The cross is at the beginning. Now notice the end. Notice what comes last. What's the last thing we read? Very end of verse 25. At the end of verse 25, we see a reference to the coming of Jesus. The day. As you see the day drawing near, that is the day of Jesus' return. That's the event that we look to for motivation, for doing these things more and more. All those things that are listed in, in between in what the, the navigator's organization calls the lettuce patch. Let us do this. Let us do this. Let us do this. All those things that were listed for us. Our motivation is the coming of Jesus, and our foundation is the cross of Jesus. We live between those two events, don't we? The cross of Jesus and the coming of Jesus. Those are the bookends. Now, what are we to do between his cross and his coming? That's what this passage 
is about. Specifically, what are we supposed to be doing within the church? What's our ministry to each other? We know that we have a good and important ministry to those outside of the church. A a telling of the gospel message in word and in deed. We have a ministry outside the church that we need to prioritize. This passage is, is about what to prioritize within the church, within our community of faith. Three priorities are set before us. The first one's very basic. It's simply this. Prioritize presence. Prioritize presence. As in physical presence with each other. That's what we see in verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Prioritize, Christian, being physically present with the church, with the gathered church. Sunday morning, yes. Other times also. Prayer meetings, community group, Bible study. No, we can't do everything. We can't fit everything into our schedule, but we can prioritize being present. That's the first thing that's set before us. Now, it's never been easier to prioritize absence. In our lifetimes, it's, it's never been easier to prioritize absence from the church. How many, how many live streams of services are there now? It, it, in the thousands. Everything is live stream. You can watch from the comfort of your home Comfort of your pajamas, comfort of your bed, comfort of your living room. You don't have to go anywhere, don't have to do anything. Besides that, over the last 18 months, you may have just formed new habits for Sunday morning where you have found other ways to spend your time because during the pandemic you were just home a lot on on Sunday and now you have found some of those other things to do which maybe you find more enjoyable to do than be present with the body. That may have happened to you over the last year and a half. Well, we've got the convenience of staying at home. We've got other options for how we spend our time. If if neither one of those two things have derailed you too much, there's, there's always the possibility that you're just finding church really difficult right now because of relationships. Things have become difficult with someone who was a friend or with people that you find yourself in disagreement with. And you have just found it easier to say, you know, I'm just going to remove myself from that context right now and not deal with that. I'm just going to do, do church on my own. All of those things are, are part of our environment right now. And for any of those reasons or maybe a combination of them, or maybe something totally different. You may have just decided it's, it's easier to do church on my own or on our own. And so here we are at this moment in time together in the place where we live, where this question is in front of all of us, will I continue to prioritize physical presence with the gathered church? How important is it to, to be here in body?
What would you say if someone asked you that question? Why should I prioritize being present at my church? Well, there are lots of practical things that we could mention. There are lots of um, nourishing and strengthening practices that take place when we're together. Things that we do together that bring a real nourishing benefit. Things like taking communion together, which I think is the best argument for maintaining physical presence with the body. Communion. The physical elements... We have praying together. We have singing together. Hearing the word of God preached to us together. There are certain irreplaceable graces of meeting together. Those things would be good to mention. Those are really good arguments for continuing to meet together physically. These irreplaceable graces. There are also invisible truths that are taught when we're together. There are things that are happening that we can't see, that we're testifying to when we gather. And here's the biggest one. We're testifying to the truth that we really are one body in Christ. That we are members of each other. That no one of us has everything that we need. That no one person has been given all the gifts or all the knowledge. That we compose one body with Christ as the head. We testify to that when we gather together around him. And when we think that we can just do church on our own, we teach a little lesson when we do that too. We teach the lesson that I'm my own little body of Christ. I don't really need any other members. I am sufficient in and of myself to accomplish God's purposes. I'm my own little body of Christ. We need each other to form one healthy body, and we testify to that when we gather together. So there are irreplaceable graces of being together. There are invisible truths that are taught when we're together. And besides, besides those two things, remember this, that Christianity, when we think about following Jesus and faith in Jesus in the Christian community, Christianity is, first of all, incarnational. Christianity is, first of all, incarnational. The Son of God took a physical body and came near to dwell with people. He was present with mankind to receive both their adoration and their condemnation. He was present to receive from mankind both their praise and their wounds. He prayed with his disciples. He sang with his disciples. 
touched the leper and he allowed his clothes to be touched by the woman with the hemorrhage. He allowed crowds to press in on him and invade his personal space. He allowed his feet to be washed by a worshiper. And he allowed his cheek to be kissed by a traitor. He was present to receive it all, both adoration and condemnation. Here's where I want to apply that to you and to me. Be present, Christian, to receive it all. Be among people, be among your Christian community to receive it all, the good and the hard. Both adoration and condemnation. If you are part of a Christian community, you will always be surrounded by those who adore you and those who condemn you. It has always been part of the lives of the people of God. The boy Joseph was surrounded by the adoring, the adoring father, and he was surrounded by the condemning. David was surrounded by the adoring and the condemning. Jesus was surrounded by the adoring and the condemning. Paul was surrounded in his ministry by the adoring and the condemning. It will always be that way for us all. We can't escape it in any community. And as as hard as this is, and as much as we do not want our communities to be like that, where we, we want them to be homogeneous, where it's all adoration and no condemnation, and as hard as it is to think about living in community like that, surrounded by the adoring and the condemning, we have to recognize that it is formative for us unto Christ-likeness. And if we would be more like Jesus, we have to be present with people. Because Christianity is, first of all, incarnational. Prioritize presence. We're getting reoriented to how we need to be thinking about our community. Prioritize presence. Secondly, prioritize encouragement. The second thing that we take notice of, and this is verse 25, that we are to prioritize encouragement. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, just talked about that, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I think probably every pastor right now is experiencing this, this kind of struggle. Here's the struggle. What is the appropriate pastoral tone to take at this For anyone that is attempting to lead a church right now through these days and these moments in history, one of the great questions is, what kind of a tone should I take? I think there are lots of candidates for what kind of a tone to take in leading a church right now. One, one candidate would be taking the tone of, hey, 
Church, it's time to rally the troops. We need to start beating back against the cultural tide. We're at war here. So let's go. And I think that there are lots of pastors who would sign on to that script and take that tone. Should a pastor take a more critical stance toward the church, a more critical tone and say, hey, church, what's wrong with you? You know, in the last 18 months, we haven't made all the right decisions. We haven't taken all the right postures within our culture. There's a lot of learning that needs to take place here. What, what have you been doing? We need to do better than this. And I think there are lots of pastors who would sign on to that script. Should a pastor take an argumentative tone or a disappointed tone or a hopeful tone or an urgent tone or a critical tone? What is right for this moment in time? It's not just pastors that have that question before you. It's anyone that is participating in a church community. You have the same question in front of you. What kind of tone should I be taking with my brothers and sisters in Christ? What's my responsibility toward them right now? Should I be out there trying to convince people that my particular view is the right one? Should I take a very active, very proactive tone with my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ and be convincing them of things? Or should I really pull back? Should I really just stand apart from it all and say, I'm not gonna talk about any of these things because there's a chance that I might have a disagreement with someone and then that's gonna be bad. What, and we've all felt that tension. What do we talk about? What do we not talk about? What, what kind of a posture do I take in my friend group? And all of this can lead to a kind of relational Paralysis, where we just don't know what to do. And so we withdraw or we go too far. And into this morass of relational issues and different options about what kind of a tone to take, a student of the book of Hebrews comes to chapter 10 and asks the question, well, has anyone in the church thought about taking an encouraging stance? What about that for an option? Isn't that what the writer of Hebrews is telling us to do? To encourage one another. Have you thought about making that your posture among your brothers and sisters? Church family, let's allow this passage to reorient us Let's go back to what we know for sure, that relationally, concerning relationships, in the time between the cross of Jesus and the coming of Jesus, relationally, this is to be a time of encouragement of each other. I call on you, church, to put all of your energy, physical, mental, your social media presence, I call on you to put all of your energy into how you can encourage your brother and sister in Christ. Part of this is just out of recognition that the church 
has never agreed on matters, on secondary matters. We have never agreed on secondary matters. We can't agree on how to do baptism. We can't agree on how to do the Lord's Supper. We can't agree on salvation theology. We can't agree on end times theology. We can't agree on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We can't even agree on the date we should celebrate Easter. The Western and Eastern Church have never agreed on that. For two millennia, the church has lived in a context of disagreement. And the critical thing is that we live in a culture of encouragement. So I call on you on the basis of the scriptures this morning to launch a relentless campaign of encouragement. Go out of your way. We're used to going out of our way to find faults with people. I want to call on you to go out of your way to find something to encourage in another person. Find whatever gift, whatever excellence, whatever mark of Christ you see in them, and then encourage that, okay? That's what Paul does when he's writing to Timothy. Second Timothy, Paul's writing his letter to his, his protege, and he has a lot of correcting to do in Timothy's life, because Timothy has some things he needs to work on. Like, there are some pretty critical things that he's, he's just not hitting the mark in. But before Paul gets into that corrective mode, he zeroes in on something that he can encourage in that young man. And he writes, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. He recognizes that for all of Timothy's faults, he has this sincere faith. And he says, now, fan that into flame. I know that that is in you. Now, fan that into flame. Expand on that gift. Do it more and more. That's Paul the encourager. And that can be all of us too. If we all encourage one person a week until Thanksgiving, one person a week until Thanksgiving, encourage one person a week until Thanksgiving, what will happen to the culture here? What will happen in your heart what will happen in your brother's heart. That's 13 weeks. We see that as the day draws nearer and nearer, encouragement becomes more and more urgent. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you know what that means? It means that every day that you wake up, encouragement is more important than it was the day before. When you wake up tomorrow, encouragement of your brother and sister will be more important than it was today. It's always the urgent need of the day. Who will be the first beneficiary of your first campaign of encouragement? Prioritize presence, 
prioritize encouragement. We're retraining our thinking. We're getting reoriented to true Christian community. Finally, and maybe somewhat surprisingly, prioritize good works. Good works can get a bad name in Protestant circles. We love to emphasize faith, and we should emphasize faith. But often it's at the expense of good works. And what we want to say, counter to that mindset that de-emphasizes good works, are that good works are a priority here in Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not only that, good works are a priority in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not only that, but they are also prioritized in the book of James. Of course, faith working together with works. Not only that, but also in Paul's letter to Titus. Remarkably so in Paul's letter to Titus. I could not believe when I went back and read that the last chapter and a half of Titus, how much good works are emphasized. Listen to this. I'm just hitting on the mentions of good works. Titus 2.14, Jesus Christ who gave himself to purify a people for himself, a people zealous for good works. Skipping down, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for Every good work. Skipping on down, insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Skipping on down, 314, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Seems to be a major concern of, of Paul's. Zealous for good works, ready for good works, devoted to good works. And let's not, men- let's not forget the mention of good works in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, let your light so shine among others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you know who loves Good works. God loves good works. He worked for six days, and then at the end, he declared that it was good. Good works. That's Genesis 1. Philippians 1. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is a God of good works. And we reflect him when we are ready for, zealous for, and devoted to good works. And when we stir one another up toward love and good works. church that emphasizes the gospel 
but doesn't emphasize good works is not a complete church. Neither do we have a complete church when we emphasize good works but don't emphasize the gospel. A church that emphasizes the gospel and emphasizes good works is complete. The gospel and good works are not in competition with each other. They are both enjoined upon the church by God. Good works are not necessary for our salvation, but they are necessary for our church. How much plainer could the scriptures be that we're to give ourselves to good works and try to figure out how to stir each other up towards doing these good works? So we're in a dreaming phase right now as a church. What do we want to do together, corporately? What good work do we want to do together that will be a blessing to us and to our community? We're in a dreaming phase right now as a church about what God will allow us to do, but you can ask the same question of yourself. What good work can I do? What good work can I undertake? Or my family? What, what are we going to adopt as a family, as our good work? Or our new community group? What are we going to decide together as a group will be our good work? What will we rally around together? Who will we adopt? Adopt a college student. Adopt a veteran. Adopt a widow. Adopt a school. There are refugees and English language learners that need to be ministered to. There are kids who need a tutor or a ride or a coat. There are people that just need to be talked to. Don't forget to give priority to good works. Let this fall be a time for forming new habits, for forming new rhythms of life that are centered on the scriptures, on what we know we're supposed to be doing, straight out of Hebrews 10, and let them form the culture of your life and of this church. Physical presence, keep it very simple, brothers and sisters, physical presence, encouragement, good works. Jesus' cross is our foundation And Jesus coming is our motivation. And in this time in between, we dedicate ourselves to physical presence and encouragement and good works as we glory in his cross and as we await his blessed coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, thank you that we have not been left aimless or disoriented but that by your word we can be reoriented, reshaped, reformed, week by week by the testimony of the scriptures. And I I pray that the same Holy Spirit who inspired these words to be written would be pleased to make them real and powerful in our lives so that when your son returns, and looks at his church and says, what have you been doing while I was absent? In his beautiful face and say, 
Lord Jesus, we dedicated ourselves to what the word told us to dedicate ourselves to. We went to the nations to make disciples, and within our community, we looked at Hebrews 10 and said, we need to prioritize physical presence and encouragement and good works, and that's what we've been doing for your glory and in your name. Amen.